Wonderful. Are we ready for the word? Yes. Excellent. We've got a whole 25 minutes. Believe that? Smash it. You watch. I don't know if you've sensed it. I hope you have. But the Holy Spirit's here today. God is in the house. And as I was preparing this portion of looking through the book of Romans, chapter 7, I really felt God clearly speak to me that there are going to be people in the house today, people online listening or watching this after the fact, and you need the peace of God. Life has got everything thrown up in the air, and it's like it's like that game of pick-up sticks. Who ever played pick-up sticks? That's a fun game. A lot of fights in my family around that game. That move! No, I didn't. No, anyway. I need the peace of God. There are people in the place today that need the peace of God. You're in a storm or things are... And Jody's already shared us on. We know that they've had their challenges. But we all do. And I just really feel strongly today that the Holy Spirit's going to come and is going to minister peace. That's what God promised me today. That you would leave this place. You would have come in like a storm in a teacup, everything going on in your head, stuff happening, the, the, the things of life, the challenges, the frustrations, the anger, whatever it is that's going on in your life. God said to me that if you are open and if you're ready to receive, the peace of God will come like a river into your life today. So we're going through the book of Romans, we're up to chapter 7. And uh, I've heard Pastor Chris Mulhair talk about this. He's the pastor of New Hope Church in Toowoomba about tensions to manage. Life is full of tensions to manage, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Do I do this? Do I do that? What's the balance? And, and the tension I'm talking about today is the tension of the two natures. We have our old sinful nature and then we have our new godly nature. And when we receive our new godly nature, it's not like the old sinful nature goes. It, it's there, but it's broken and doesn't have a hold on you anymore. And so what I'm talking about is the tension to manage between the old sinful nature and the new Christ-like nature and how we manage that tension really determines how much we see God move and act in and through our lives. And so God's going to set some people free today when they realise that they're no longer bound by that old nature anymore. Psalm 23 verses 1 and 2, it's a well-known psalm, but I'm not going to presume everyone knows it. So I'm just going to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. We're going to start there and we're going to finish there. Because there are people in the place today that need a revelation that God is leading you to a place where there is still waters. That's a place of peace. He doesn't promise to lead you by the tsunami. <laughs> Some of our lives feel like a tsunami. It's all banging and crashing and so insurmountable and how do I overcome this thing? But the Bible clearly says he leads me beside the still waters. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today and I thank you that you lead us to a place of peace. God, I pray for many who are listening today that they would have a revelation of the peace that's available through you. Lord, that our storms in our life can be settled by a simple word from you. So, Lord, we open up our hearts ready to receive your peace today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Peace of God's coming today. I hope, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. All right, attention of two nations. Let's get into it. 
Uh, Paul's writings, and, and I've been enjoying where we've read chapter 1 right through to chapter 6 or up to chapter 7, his writings are the key that enable the church to unlock the gospel message. That's why these writings in the book of Romans are so key. They're so pivotable because they speak to our faith. Just let them know I'm busy. Uh, we've seen from the first six chapters how precious the gospel is to Paul. You can tell by the way he writes. He's passionate. And it's easy for us to forget how good God is and to put conditions on his grace. We, we, we can do that in, when we have longevity in our faith. We sometimes get the spirit of familiarity or, you know, we, we, we put conditions on the things of God and especially to others because we get this little word that starts with J called judgmental and we start declaring, well, they're not doing this or that. And we get more outward focus looking at them rather than remembering that our heart needs to be reconciled with God daily. Our salvation needs to be uh, daily worked out with fear and trembling. So Paul, as a committed Pharisee, was well-schooled in the law. He knew the law like the back of his hand, all of them. The Ten Commandments, the God-given laws. There were laws that guided the temple worship, laws about what to eat, what not to eat, laws surrounding childbirth, laws related to various infections and diseases, Laws that set moral standards. Laws that told you how to follow the laws. <laughs> a lot of laws, right? He knew them all. And while the law was never intended to bring about salvation, and we, we know that, that the law doesn't get people saved, but the law was holy because it was an expression of God's character. And the law helped people recognise their need for salvation. And we've talked about that a lot, haven't we? That In the six chapters of Romans we've come through, the law serves its purpose. It's not either or. It's not, oh, well, I'm law-based and you're grace-based. No, 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 no. They both have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Amen. And the law's role is to identify sin. If there was no law, how would we know we were sinning and doing the wrong thing? There's no law to covenant. My son said it the other He's not in here now. I can pick on him. Timothy said in the car, oh, gee, it'd be good if there was no police. <laughs> and I, I breathed and I said, well... <laughs> <laughs> what you've got to understand is that, is that police are, are really uh, playing a role in society. I mean, some people don't like them, whatever, but if they weren't there, there would be lawlessness. There'd be people running amok. There'd be people, um, you know, robbing people at will. There'd be, there'd be people driving on the highway. Um, how fast did your car go? My brother's here today. What was it 574 kilometres per hour? Was that it? He's got, he plays Gran Turismo. It's a car game on the PlayStation. And he showed me this car that goes 574 kilometres an hour. I said, it looks like a jet aeroplane about to take off. That's how fast it was going. So people would be driving like that on the streets. Like, you know, the law was never intended to bring about salvation, but it was intended to point out sin in our lives. So we need it. We need it to shine the light on, on, on how we live our lives so that we can identify sin and then realise we need a saviour. We need to be saved from our sin. Let's get into the scripture. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 3 says this. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives she marries another man, 
she will be called an adulteress. That if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Death is the key to unlocking the shackles in your life. So chapter 7 opens, Paul's talking about uh, marriage to his Jewish readers. And he's using this as an example of how we can legally be freed from the law, because that's what they're asking. All the law followers are like, okay, you're going on about this grace and whatever. How can we legally be freed from the law? And Paul is answering the question by using marriage as an illustration. I like it when people use illustrations and pictures. It makes my mind much more at ease to understand something uh, rather than using a whole bunch of big golden Greek words because I'm no theologian. Um, so some words just go, oh, I don't know what that means. But when you say a picture like this, it makes sense. The law binds a wife to her husband for as long as the man lives. And no longer, once he dies, she's no longer bound to that man because he's gone. Paul uses the marriage covenant as a lens to sharpen our vision on how this works. So the law has authority over people for as long as they live. Only death can break or end that authority because death ends a marriage. All attempts to bypass the law and the authority that the law has leads to a violation. You get in trouble if you break the law. Death frees someone from the law. So when the husband dies, in that example, they're now free. So a death is required. Jesus died so that we could be freed from the bondage of the law. We can never satisfy the requirements of the law in our own strength. That's why I'm talking to Marcus today and I'm saying, you know, I've watched your journey for 10 years and for nine and a half of those years, Marcus was trying in his own strength. Like he had a desire to want to be free and live the God life. You can see the desire. But something's changed this time in June, whatever that date was this year, where you had a finally had that revelation that Jesus does the work for me. I can't do it in my own strength. You can only go so far in your own strength. And if Marcus had more time, he could tell you many stories where he'd come good and then he'd drop away again. And then he'd come good and then he'd drop away again. And you know what we tend to do as people? We give up on them because, oh, they're never going to get out of there. You know, but how dare we? There's a challenge for someone. How dare we give up on anyone? It's God's timing when he does something in someone's life, not ours. Who are we to give up on people? And so we stuck by Marcus and kept praying for him, loved him in the good times, loved him in the tough times. And and now look at what we're looking at, a transformation that only God could have done. And I think that's awesome. And there are other people in this room that aren't quite where you're at yet in their God journey, but God's going to lead them to that place. And it's not for us to say when or if that will happen. We just love people. Isn't that what God called us to do? To love people as we love ourselves. So Jesus died so that we could be free from the law. Now here's the thing, it takes discernment to know when we're under the law or just being obedient on the basis of our faith. Those are two different things. If we're still under the rule of law and we're trying to obey the law instead of being submissive to the law of Christ and the new life, we're still under the reign of sin because sin is found because of the law pointing it out. So if we're under law, we're under the bondage of sin if we don't have a revelation of what Jesus has done for us. Remember, the power of sin resides in the power of the law. It's Jesus Christ 
who fulfilled the requirements, who died on the cross for you and for me, so that we could be made free from the bondage of the law. The chains are broken because of what he's done. And we need to come to a place in our, in our understanding that that's happened. So that we're no longer bound by the law anymore. We're no longer governed and dictated by the condemnation that comes every time we mess up and make a mistake. Because we all do. Every day we do something wrong. We slip up. A word sneaks out. Maybe we type that message we shouldn't have typed. Whatever it is. And, and we feel that condemnation. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. That was the wrong thing to do. And it's after the fact that it happens. But see, when, that's, when you're bound up by the law and trying to, again, I'm using Marcus a lot as an example, but you know, he would muck up and then you'd go and hide because you're ashamed. That's what we do. We go and hide. We do the wrong thing. We, we stay away from people. We're ashamed of what we've done. But when you're under the new covenant, the new law of living under Christ, understanding that he's died for you, understanding that he's paid the price for you, that condemnation is gone. And that desire to sin is gone. We don't become perfect. We still make mistakes. But something shifts in the spiritual, and all of a sudden you're this new creation that just doesn't have a desire for those things anymore. God did for us in the death of his son what we couldn't do for ourselves. And that is pay the price, the penalty. The book of Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. And who wants to die to pay that price? I like living. (laughs) I like being here for my family and my kids. And so we are so blessed that Jesus paid the price for us. We would still be under law, every precept, every command, every ordinance, if we had not become dead to the law because of what Christ had done. We'd still be under the law. But Jesus has made a way for you and for me. By the grace of God, by the grace of God, we belong to Jesus. And he's our saviour, he's our mediator, he's our high priest, he's our Lord. And so I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that we have Jesus who unlocks the shackles of sin in our lives. And without him, we'd still be bound up. Because he's the only way. There's no other way. Alright, verses 4 to 6 says this, Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who has, was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. See, when we relate to God through the law by trying our hardest to do what's right, and there are some places out there where you go to worship where that, that, that's what they do. You've got your little checkbox, and oh, you can come to church if you do dress right and speak right and say the right words and tick all those boxes. That's religion, and, and it binds you up. It's very law-based. But God creates in us a new nature that doesn't have those requirements anymore. The only requirement is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you'll be saved. But see, when we're bound up by trying to please God and do the right thing, the old nature resurfaces. So you could give your heart to the Lord and find yourself in a church that is quite religious. But what you find is is that the old nature is stirred up because you might 
mess up or, you know, maybe there's a certain kind of clothing you've got to wear and that day you wore the wrong T-shirt. And, and then on the inside, that old nature comes back. It's like, oh, I've done the wrong thing. I failed. You know, how could God possibly love me? I can't even dress right. You see what I'm saying? That's the old nature is stirred up when we're sin conscious, when we're law conscious and we're in that old nature that's law driven. Here's another example. Say a man makes up his mind to stop taking the Lord's name in vain. That's a good thing. That's a good choice. And let's say he succeeds. Well, that's a good thing too. But now he looks down on everyone around him who takes the Lord's name in vain. And he also becomes very proud. So now he's the kind of, you know, it's been three months since I used the Lord's name in vain. It's been six months since I used the Lord's name in vain. It's been a year since I used But look at you using the Lord's name in vain. How dare you? Don't use the Lord's name. And you get proud. So you can become very proud of your own accomplishment. And, and, and the man, I guess, succeeds in not taking the Lord's name in vain anymore, but now he's judgmental. And now he's prideful in the process. And, and so the way of the old nature is like one step forward, two steps back. Here's the way of the new nature. Instead of looking around and going, well, they just use the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, it's been six months since I said doing that. Why not pray and say, Holy Spirit, thank you for releasing me from that that terrible habit that I have of using the Lord's name in vain, how can you use me to help someone else to do the same? Ooh. Snap. <laughs> Imagine if we did that. Imagine if we asked God to use us to be a blessing to others. And then that eliminates pride because we're putting others ahead of ourselves. It's like, what can I do to make life better for someone else? That's what the new nature is all about. You see, the Lord's purpose is to show us how much we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. That's the Lord's purpose because it shines a light on sin. You know, if you're a carpenter, if you're an apprentice to a carpenter and and the master carpenter gives you a box of tools, you're not going to use a hammer to tighten screws, are you? Hopefully not. Even I know that and I don't, I'm, I'm not that constructive with my hands. I try, but... Uh, but I know you don't use a hammer to tighten a screw. You could bash that screw in and you ruin everything, but that's not what you do. We're well, using the carpentry analogy again. When we compare our work to the master carpenter's work, we always see how far we've got to go, don't we? Because the master is like someone who's years and years of the craft and they are top-notch at what they do. And I'm an apprentice and I'm learning how to do what they do. So I compare my work to theirs and I go, oh, look how beautiful what they've done. Look how far I still need to go. So therefore, you're motivated to listen and learn from the master, aren't you? If you want to genuinely improve your craft, well, in the same way, the law shows us how much we need to listen to God. We need his guidance. We need his help. He is the picture perfect, the way that we want to live, and we're never going to quite get to perfection. But man, I want to learn from someone who's there. And God teaches us and leads us and guides us. He helps us with these two natures. Rotten fruit. There it is. Two natures. The old nature is the rotten fruit, the scripture taught us. The old nature is stimulated by the law. It's stirred up by rules and regulations and pointing out that we fail. And so it's fruit for death, the scripture tells us that we just read. But the new nature, that's what I want to encourage you to embrace today. And that's how the peace of God is going to come and infiltrate your life when you have a revelation 
that those old nature things, those chains are broken because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. And we now embrace the new nature, which is stimulated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction and challenge and encourages us to make good choices and leads us and guides us. He's a friend. Ross said it today that, that he's closer than a brother. He's a friend that has come to help lead us and guide us in the new nature. And therefore we produce fruit for God. The good fruit, not the rotten fruit. How many of you know rotten fruit stinks? No, it does, really. Oh, rotten fruit can have a decent smell about it. It's not good. It's not good. You know, Christ's purpose in all of this is unswerving. He came to fulfill the divine will and to make known the glory of God in and through us. As we make a choice to embrace the new nature, we can boldly declare that God has done the work. It's nothing that we've done. We can't achieve that in our own strength. We need Jesus to uh, help us live the life that God's called us to live. I think of the scripture we use at our youth group you know, in Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do all for the glory of God. And so we embrace the new nature and create fruit for God. We're honouring him and, and glorifying him in everything that we do. Now, to glorify God is to reveal by word and by life what God is like. So it's not just what we say, but it's also what we do. We walk in it. And we're called by the Spirit of God to reflect the person whose life we possess. Is it a person of the old nature? Do people look at you and see that old nature, the old you? Or do they see a transformation because of what God's done when he's come into your life? And are you now different? And are people seeing the new nature. We are to do all to the glory of God. And God's expectations are of the highest order because he's given us his greatest good and that is the very life of his son, Jesus Christ. And so is it any wonder that he calls us to live that new nature life. Say goodbye to the old. We talked about the old captain. Remember I talked about that story with the insane captain who was captaining a ship and he was so insane, he led them into storms, he led them into difficulty, and the crew finally got rallied up by the first mate who said, listen, I'm going to be your new captain. The old captain's still there, rattling away his orders, barking instructions, but you can ignore him now, because he's that insane, he won't notice you're ignoring him. And you just do what I say, and you watch, we'll be blessed. And so they followed the new captain from that day forward, and that's the same for us. We were born into this world listening to the voices of the old captain, the enemy, Satan. He has his ideas. He has things that he tries to lead us to do until we realise, hey, that fellow's insane. He's, he's not, there's no benefit to living life under his voice. And then we meet Jesus. He's our new captain. And we start to listen to the instructions from the new captain. And man, life just transforms and changes. And now we're living our best life. And it's all because Jesus has come and broken every chain of the old nature. We don't have to listen to that old voice anymore. It's still there. The insane captain is still barking away like a mad dog, but you don't have to listen to him. You can ignore him and now listen to the voice of your new captain. His name is Jesus. And he leads us to the new nature. Aren't you glad for Jesus? All right, verses 7 to 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. 
But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. Here's what the law does. I missed that bit. There you go. Magnifying our sin. This is what the law does. Sin's used several times in these <coughs> verses. And it's referring not to the act of sin. But we know to do sin is to do that which is wrong. But it's talking about the sin principle, the powerful force within us that stays really quiet until we're told we shouldn't do certain things. So how would we know if we're not told? It's pretty simple, isn't it? We've got to be told what is right and wrong. That's why when you raise your children, I trust you raise them in the ways of the Lord and you're raising them in a way that they know what is good, what is not good, what is right, what is wrong. And then they know. Because if they're not told, how do they know? That's why the law plays a vital role. If we don't have the law shining light on sin, how do we know it's sin? You know, the surest way to lose flowers from your garden bed is to post a sign that says, please don't take the flowers. You watch how many flowers get taken. <laughs> if sin is allowed to run its full course, it eventually destroys us. This is why I don't preach off a, off a whim. What I mean when I say that is... I, some of you sometimes, I'm not pointing out anyone or naming any names, but will come and say, oh, we really need to preach a series on this because this is going on. And I mean, if I tell you not to think of a pink elephant, how many of you just thought of a pink elephant? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a story of a pastor that one marriage was breaking up in his church and, and they said, can you please preach a series on, the, on, on strong marriages and the importance of not separating? Well, he did that and then all of a sudden three or four other marriages started breaking attention was brought to a particular topic not guided by the Holy Spirit. Can the Holy Spirit direct you to preach that topic? Of course you can. But we don't preach off a whim. That's what I mean. So uh, God bless you when you come to me and say, oh, we should preach more about the righteousness of God, or whatever it is. Uh, I trust the Holy Spirit leads and guides Anita and I and anyone else that shares the pulpit in our church uh, because we want to bring you a word from the Lord, uh, not a word from our own desires or things that we're um, facing. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So just, some of you are like, <laughs> sort of there just make sure oh, that's making sense. You know, the, the, the scripture talks about the law, is the law like sin? But Paul's response is certainly not. The issue at hand here is our awareness of sin, which is created by the law. The law is like, you know, when you type on a Word document or page or whatever editing software you use and you bold something so it stands out. I'm talking about you press the big B and it's now bold font. Well, that's what the law does to sin. It puts the bold on it. Makes it stand out so we can identify, hey, we're doing the wrong thing there. That, that's what the law's role is. The law gives rise not to sin, but to the knowledge of sin. Puts the spotlight on it. And, and that wouldn't be available if there was no law. So it's because of this law-provoked inclination towards sin that Paul tells the believers in Rome to look carefully at the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. That's why he's encouraging embrace the new not the old. Don't go back to your old ways but realise that Jesus has done all of this so that we can be broken free from the expectations, the challenges the difficulty in meeting the requirements of the law. None of us can make it but Christ who is perfect died in our place so now that the bondage of that the weight of that is broken in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul had learned that we must be dead to the law before we can truly lay hold of Jesus. You can't still have a 
You can't sit on the fence in this one. Because if you do, you haven't had the revelation of what Jesus has done for you. You can't have one hand on the side of the fence that says, oh yeah, Jesus, grace, he's died so that I could be free, but then you're still struggling to meet the standards and have a problem with that. Because Jesus died to set you free from that. And, and so, so there are people in the room perhaps that just need to have that revelation again today that Jesus has broken every chain in your life. Yes. You don't have to be in bondage to those things anymore. Be loosed today in Jesus' name. And you know how you're loosed? There's peace. And that's why I said from the start, the peace of God is here today. And, and people can either embrace it, open up their heart, and say, peace of God, come, I need you, and receive it. Or we're not ready, and that's okay too, because we're on a journey. But God specifically told me, the peace of God is going to be here today for all who want to receive. So get ready. Are you ready? Cool. Two of us are ready. Romans 7, verses 9 to 11. This is my last scripture for today. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. You know, when Paul says he was alive once without the law, he's referring to a time in his life when he assumed that he was fulfilling God's commandments. Remember, he was a Pharisee and he lived to the letter of the law. Their understanding was, is if I follow the law, if I do everything that the law says, then I'm close to God. I'm fulfilling what God wants for my life. But see, Christianity is about commandment and conviction. It's a big difference. Commandment is doing things because you're told, well, you've got to do that. You know, as parents, there are some certain commands we give our children. You know, make your bed. Please. Sometime this year. You know, put the dishes in the dishwasher. Whatever it is, we give commandments. In the hope that one day, when your children grow older, and we're still praying and believing for this melody. No, melody's good, melody's good, melody's good. That a conviction comes, and they might see dishes and go, you know what? I could wash those. I'm going to put them in the dishwasher. Yeah. I'm going to make my bed without being asked. We're starting to see glimpses of this in our house, aren't we, Melody? This is good. This Take is good. a photo. Post Take it. Take a photo. Yeah, I'm going to post it. Our best self on Instagram. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Before Paul's conversion, Paul was like other Pharisees. He was proud of his commitment to keep God's rules, observe the rituals, do all the things that he was meant to do. But the Pharisees focused on outward things. As long as they seemed to keep the commandments and remained ceremonially clean, that's what it was all about, they believed they were right with God. But during this time in his life, Paul was unaware of the sin within him. He didn't realise the proper role of the law until he met Jesus. He had an encounter with him. Sometime after that encounter, Paul realised he was sinful, full of sin. He was so intensely convicted that he likened the experience to death. I'm so sinful that myself has died. Paul did not see the condemnation of the law until he came face to face with Jesus. And it was in the light of his grace and his kindness that this hostile, angry, 
probably grumpy man was brought to his knees in a moment of encounter with Jesus. And until that point, Paul considered himself alive without the law. Once Paul was in the presence of true righteousness, he was convicted like never before. How are the commandments intended to bring life? You know, they confront people with their need for righteousness. That's what they do. People are then called to turn to the not to the law, but to the lawgiver. His name is Jesus. And people are encouraged now to seek him and to seek his mercy, to seek his forgiveness. And upon receiving God's grace, when you realize you have that revelation that God forgives you, that God loves you, despite what you've done, despite what you said yesterday, despite the anger that you display, despite the, the situation that you currently find yourself in, maybe it was even this morning on the way here, and there was a moment, despite all of that, God wants to say to you today that he loves you, that he forgives you. And when you receive that grace from God, life expands in the heart of the believer. That's what I'm believing today. When you receive the peace of the peace of God, your life is going to expand so much bigger, so much greater, that you'll know that God's at work in your life and bringing breakthrough to your situation. To the point of breaking open and doing away with the shell of the old self. And that's God's desire. That today, people under the sound of my voice would encounter the peace of God like nothing else. So that you can be detached from that which is old and embrace that which is new. Can we get the light smell and just watch this?
couldn't read this one. I presume everyone can read, but you should never presume. I'm just going to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Will desire for nothing. When the Lord is the shepherd of your life, when he is leading you and guiding you, you don't want for anything else. You don't need to because he is everything that you need. Think of a shepherd and how carefully he looks after his sheep. That's the picture we're using here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, not rough, brown, drought-ridden grass. It's green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters of the tsunami. He restores my soul. He wants to restore back to you that which you once were before the old nature took over. He wants to set you free from the old nature so that he can restore you. Not just, not just okay, everything's fine from now on, but that everything that was taken in that time is restored. The best picture I can think of that that's current is Jody's baby that's not far away from being born. And we haven't got time to share that whole testimony again today, but she went and got a scan at about 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks. I knew I did. It was close. But they said, look, the baby's measuring 12 weeks. There's no heartbeat. Baby's dead. So that tells us we do the maths. Two weeks, baby's been dead. And then a few days later, she goes for that confirmation scan. Baby's alive. But not just alive. Measuring at 14 weeks now. Two days before, it was two... 12 weeks measurement, 14 weeks measurement. The Lord wants to restore you. He doesn't want to just bring life back to you. He wants to restore you to where he wanted you to be at a certain time in life. And he can do that. Don't think I'm too far away from God and I've done too many bad things and, and I'm so mean to my, to my loved ones and family or whatever it is, whatever the situation that's engulfing you. Don't think you've gone too far away that God can't restore you. And he can do it today when you receive his peace. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's tough times. Yes, he leads you to a place of peace. Yes, he restores you, but does that make life perfect? No. Valleys and mountaintops, they come. But even though we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, as we know God is for us and not against us. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's good stuff. Knocks the enemy away. <laughs> you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know what? I should be freaking out and stressed because all these people are coming against me and, and, and bad stuff is coming at me. But you prepare a table for me to chill out and have a feast. Come on. In other words, don't worry about your enemies. Let God take care of them. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely. Don't you love the surelys of the Bible? That means that without a doubt, surely this is happening. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's hunting you down. It's trying to find you. And it's waiting for you to realize that that old nature of the chains are broken and goodness and mercy wants to flood into your life when you have realized and embraced that new nature. I'll follow you all the days of your life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's no place I'd rather be than in his house, praising his name and just celebrating, even when I don't feel it, 
Even when I don't see it, that God is moving. Don't ever forsake gathering in the, in the temple, in the church. Don't, don't. It's what we naturally do. Life's tough. We're going to stay home a few weeks. Everyone, everyone's done it at some point. If you haven't done it, you'll feel poor about it. <laughs> it's our, the inclination when life is tough is to hide. Run away from those that love you the most, the ones that are here to support you and love on you and care for you and do whatever they can to, to be there for you. But we run from that because that's our natural inclination. But it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Valleys, mountaintops, good times, bad times. Find yourself in God's house. This is a loving place. This is an accepting place. You're not judged here. If anyone judges, you tell me and I'll judge them very quickly. <laughs> I'm joking. But you get what I mean. It's not tolerated here. This is not a house of judgment. This is a place where people get set free. When they encounter the peace of God. So I want to just take us back to this. He leads me besides still waters. I said we'd start there. I said we'd finish there. We're finishing now, but not before God moves. We will stand to our feet in God's presence.